Okay, so tonight is Tuesday night, and we're going to start uh, the uh, Lev Eliyahu. Lev Eliyahu is a sefer, a Musar sefer that was written by the great Rebellion Lapian. And Rebellion Lapian was a Rosh Hashiva in uh, Etzchayim in London, and he was also a, uh, later on he emigrated to Eretz Yisrael, where he taught and was the Mashkiach Ruchani of Knesset Chizkiyahu, uh, and later in Kfar Chasidim. He was born in 1876, and he died in 1970, and he was uh, a tremendous Adam Gadol, a tzaddik, and he had many great Talmidim. Amongst his great Talmidim was Rav Shalm Shvadran, the great Magad of Yerushalayim. And after he was Nifter, Rav Shalom went and he gathered all of the Shmuzin, the Musa Shmuzin that Rebellia uh, said in Yeshiva and beyond. And he gathered them in a three-volume set of Svarim called the Lev Eliyahu, which is a, it's considered a classic. We're not going to be learning the actual Sichas and the Levelio this year because uh, I mean, we could, but they're quite long and they don't really, uh, we're not going to be able to finish any of them within a half an hour time slot on Tuesday nights. But what we will be learning in Mitzvah Hashem, Bezos Hashem, is the, um, the short pieces that are found in the front of the Sefer and in the back of the Sefer. It's called Shvive Lev, the ones that are in the, in the back of the Sefer. And, uh, and there are a lot of great Yisaitis, a lot of gems. They're all gems. And we're going to learn them together, Mitzvah Shem, over the course of the year. And you're going to see uh, a lot of very, very fundamental ideas from the great Rebellion Lapian. So let's, uh, let's get started. Tonight we're going to see one, possibly two pieces from him. We're going to start... On the bottom of the right side of the page, Reish Chavav, Eis Chav Gimel. It's going on a Pasuk in Tehillim that we're very familiar with, especially this time of year. There is one thing that I ask of you, Hashem, and that is what I ask of you. Seems a little redundant. Before I share with you what Rebellia himself says, I want to just repeat to you uh, something that I said over this week by Shalashudis, that it's an amazing bard on this Pasuk from Ramesha Shapiro, the great, uh, the great Adam Gadol from Eretz Yisrael that was Nifter not too long ago. He says as follows, What is this double Lashon of She'ela and Bakasha? So he says that if you look in the um, the Pirish of the Vilna Gain on Sefer on, on Megillus Esther, so Esther says a very similar lashon in her in the Megillah. She says to Achashverosh, "Nafshi b'sheilasi, ve'ami b'vakashasi." She says, "I'm asking you, nafshi b'sheilasi." I'm asking you for my own purposes, my own nefesh, my own soul, the Sheilasi. The Ami and my nation, I'm asking you as well. I'm asking you to spare my nation. That's with my Bakasha. 
the Vilna Gain points out that there's a difference between She'ela and Bakasha. By the way, and I've said this in the past, the Vilna Gain uh, has an entire Chibur. I'm not sure if he wrote it or maybe it was compiled from all of his, his, his different works. I have it in my office if anyone wants a, a copy of it. It's a, whenever there are two words that seem very similar in the, in the Hebrew language, in Lashon HaKadosh, you can rest assured that they're not the same. There's a difference, a very major difference between two words. In English, we have synonyms. And synonyms are words that are pretty similar. So if you're looking to, uh, to impress your, uh, your English professor and you don't want to keep on using the same word in, a, you know, in an essay, so you just press the thesaurus button on your Microsoft Word and you'll get constantly different synonyms. You could just, you know, instead of using rich, use wealthy, and the next time you use affluent and you use v'chulei. Uh, when it comes, but it, there's really no difference. Is there a difference between rich and affluent and wealthy? Maybe very, very, very slight nuances, but for the most part, it's the same and it's very interchangeable. When it comes to Lashna Kaidesh, things are very different. Every single time the Torah or, or Nach uses a different word, there's a reason for that. It's not to be poetic and it's not to be, you know, just to mix it up a little bit. It's in order to teach us a very important lesson. And so the Vilna Gain says that there's a very inherent difference between She'ela and Bakasha, even though they sound the same. They seem to be something that, two words that are interchangeable. She'ela means I'll ask, Bakasha means I'll ask. But you see from this Pasuk in Megillus Esther that nafshi b'she'lasi, when I'm shayel something from you, what am I doing? I'm asking you for something personal. I'm asking you for a personal favor. Mashayel. I'm shayel. If I go to a, a godlin, I'm shayel eitza. I'm asking an eitza. Who is it for? For the world? No, it's for me. If I go and ask somebody for a bakasha, have to be mevakesh something, that's for the rabbim. Ami bevakashasi. So Ramesha Shapira says a beautiful yisaid. He says that when David HaMelech asks this, what's he asking? He wants to sit and learn. He wants to be Isaac and Tamatira. When David HaMelech asks that, he's asking it twofold. First of all, it's a shayla, it's a personal bakash, it's a personal request. I want to be able to sit and learn. I want to, I love learning. David HaMelech says elsewhere that Lulei Sarascha Shashuai. Davin Melch is always telling about how much he loves Taira. He says, as a personal request, I'm asking you to enable me to sit and learn. But don't think that it's merely a personal thing, that me sitting and learning Taira is just doing nothing but sharpening my own mind and engaging in my own uh, Talmudical pursuits. And uh, No. It's Isa Vakish. It's a bakasha as well. It's a bakasha for the rabbin. Because when a person sits and learns Taira, what he's doing is not just a personal endeavor, but what he's doing is really doing something for the entire Klal Yisrael. The entire Klal Yisrael gains when I sit and learn. 
And that's something that's very, very important to, it's a tremendous yisait from Meish It's not just a personal thing. It's a bakasha for the tzibor. It's a bakasha for the whole world, really. Because when we learn Taira, we're doing so much more than just engaging in a personal pursuit. We're, we're saving the world. We're, we're improving the world. We're, we're allowing the, the world to uh, continue and to be sustained and nourished and, and, and continue. And so that is, uh, it's a very important site. It's very Nagay, obviously, on so many levels, like on Shabbos we were talking about, uh, you know, the great debate in Eretz Yisrael about, uh, between the Charedim and the Chilonim, whether or not they should, you know, the Charedim should go and serve in the army or not. But um, there's always something very essential that's missing from that debate. In a sense, the Chilonim are, are right, because it isn't fair for them, for, for Haredim to be studying some ancient Talmudic texts mm-hmm. while the other, while their counterparts are going and fighting in Janine and in, uh, in Gaza. It's not fair. But that's only assuming that what they're studying is just a personal endeavor. It's just something that will gratify themselves and make them, you know, make, sharpen their minds. And uh, so it's, it's similar to, you know, if you're assuming that Tyra equals quantum physics or Tyra equals English lit, then they're 100% right. I would also get on their bandwagon. The problem is that they're wrong because when Yeshiva Bachem, Avrechem, are sitting and learning Tyra, they're doing something that's so great, not just for themselves, but for Klal Yisrael. And the greatest Shmira and the greatest Haganah, the greatest protection of Klal Yisrael, Eretz Yisrael, is because of the people that are sitting and learning Torah. It's not to say that the Chayalim are not doing their share. They certainly are. And they deserve a lot of credit for what they do. And we make Mishaberach in, in our base Medrash for them and many other Batu Medrashim. But in terms of to basically think that Yeshua Bachar is doing nothing but engage in a personal, uh, a personal, uh, you know, learning, which doesn't really, uh, you know, doesn't do anything for the tzibur, is a gross, uh, a gross error in, in understanding. And you can't blame the chilinim for not understanding this. They weren't, they didn't grow up with this concept. But for us, you know, sometimes we get a little confused about the debate. And we have to know how important it is every single time people around the world, including ourselves, when we sit and learn, we have no idea of the value that that's bringing to the entire world and befrat to Klal Yisrael. Let's see what Rebbe Lapian says on this Pasuk. What is this extra Eish HaVakish? Again, it's on the bottom. I'm asking something from Hashem. That is a Bakasha. So he's going to go with a little bit of a different mahalach than the one that we just spoke out. Aval, What is this similar to? I go over to you and I say, do me a favor, lend me uh, $1,000. I'd like to borrow $1,000 from you. What, what am I going to do with $1,000 once you lend it to me? You think I'm going to just put it in my drawer and, and leave it there? Obviously, the point of me borrowing the money is 
Shalimatarasai Huzakog Lukasef. I need to use it for something. There's a purpose in me asking you for the money. I'm not asking it for my own personal, just to keep it in my drawer. I'm looking to you. I'm looking to you to help me in order to accomplish something they need to accomplish. Like, for example, I, I was offered a great investment opportunity. Somebody says, you know, there's a startup and, you know, you could put money into it. It's going to really, uh, you know, yield you a, a great return. Fine. So I'll, I need $1,000. I'm going to borrow you that. I'm going to immediately go and run over and give, the, give it to the guy. There's one thing that I asked from you, Hashem. And there's nothing else. I don't have a uh, something that I'm I'm looking to do with it. I'm not. Sometimes when I ask you something, I have a I have a purpose in asking it for you. I'm, I wanna I wanna do something with what I'm requesting. I'm requesting it not just to do nothing with it, but to do something specific with it. David Amelach is saying that that's not what I want. I'm asking you something, and there's only one thing that I want. There's no ulterior motive. When I'm asking you to learn, when I'm asking you to sit in the base medish and learn, and I want you to give me the peace of mind and the, the time and the, the opportunity to sit and learn, it's not like for a purpose. It's not in order to accomplish something else. It's not because I want to I wanna be able to impress people. It's not because I want to, I don't know, you know, become a, be, have people stand up from when I walk into a room. It's for one reason. Whatever I'm asking you, that's it. That's my bakasha. There's nothing more, nothing less. I'm not looking to have other types of, uh, of, of benefits accruing to me from sitting and learning. It's not, that's all I want to do is one thing. Sometimes we want to learn for other reasons. We have ulterior motives. Sometimes people want to learn in order to, Lacanter, uh, Tyson Springs, sometimes, you know, he wants to show that he's very smart and slug everybody up. Sometimes the person wants to sit and learn, not because he really wants to learn, because he wants to get a very good shidduch. He wants to marry a, a you know, wealthy girl or a very, you know, from a prestigious home. Sometimes the person wants to stay and sit and learn because his rabbi told him to. David Amal is saying, I don't want any of that. Achashat, I'm asking you one thing, and there's no other thing that's going to accrue to me from that. That very thing that I'm asking you, that's my soul, Bakasha. There's one thing that I'm asking, and it's for the purest of motivations, the purest of purposes, and that's to sit and learn. And this is something that's important uh, for us to understand. In America, for many years, there was a in the early years of America, I don't mean from 1776, but like uh, when the Jews started coming in in the early 1900s, they emigrated from Russia and from, and they came, if they were, if they were learning, they were learning and they were doing something else or they were not learning at all because parents, American parents wanted their children to succeed in America, go to college if they could, uh, get a, a good parnasa, and maybe they would learn and go to school, maybe they would learn and do business on the side, 
one man came to America right after the war. His name was Rav Aaron Cutler. And he was the Rashiva of Kletsk in Europe. And he was a brilliant, brilliant man with uh, Talmud of the Altavan Slabatka. Uh, he was world famous for his brilliance in Tyra, his, his Sidkus. He had blue eyes of people. If you ever meet somebody that actually saw Rav Aaron, I don't think there are that many people left in the world that saw Rav Aaron himself, but they'll, the first thing they'll tell you, if you ask them to describe him, and I've spoken to people about this, the first thing that you, they remember is his eyes. He had like fiery blue eyes. You could have, there were pictures of him that somehow, that some way, in some way capture it. And... Um, but he came to America and he basically said, I am going to start a yeshiva in America that will be a, a reina vinkel, he used to call it, a, a, a pure corner of Taira in this country. And people thought he was crazy. No one's going to buy it. No one's going to just learn. There's no such thing as just learning all day in America. Maybe in Europe that flew, but in America you have to go to college and you have to get a job and you have to be very career-oriented. And Rivarin says, no, 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 I'm going to create, I'm going to rebuild Tyro like it was lost in Europe during the war. I'm replanting the seeds in America. And people thought, you will never succeed. This is ridiculous. Who's going to come to this yeshiva? It's a... And he got a few people to come, and then a few more people. And then, after he was Nifter, his son Rav Schneer took over, and a few thousand people. And now there's like 8,000 people learning in this uh, little city called Lakewood. And they're learning Yem Valayla. They're not doing anything but learning. That's what Rav Aaron brought to America. That's the Svar. This is what David Amal says. I'm asking you, but it's, there's no other, re- I don't, there's nothing else. Everything that I'm asking you is purely just, I just want to learn. That's a concept. Uh, I know it might not be a concept in our yeshiva. In our yeshiva, we have a dual curriculum, and that's also a, a wonderful thing. But it's important for us to remember that there is an option on the table, and there is a, there is a, a great, great other alternate track in life, and that's shift I just want to sit and learn. I don't want to do anything else. I just want to learn. I want to learn Lashma. That She'ela is my only Bakasha. And maybe that's going to happen to us, you know, after we graduate college. Or maybe there are people in the room that are doing, you know, just Judaic studies, and, you know, the, the, they're just, they're, they're not doing any college. There are different options. And college is a great option in the Sishiva. But we have to respect and understand and appreciate the other, other people in the world and what they're doing and never disdain, never look down, never like poo-poo like what other people in Klai Yisrael are doing. If people are sitting and learning in Kailo forever, that's a wonderful thing. That's David Amalek's model. You don't have to necessarily follow that model. There's other models, but appreciate what it is. Acha Shalti, people are saying, and there's great, great Mesiris Nefesh, for them to say this, it's not easy for everybody. There might be a few people that have, you know, rich uncles, but for the most part, people are struggling, they're working very, very hard, and, uh, and they're doing, they're learning Tyre with great mysterious nefesh, because this is what they want, this is all they want, they just want to learn, not just them, but their wives, 
who are really Meisneris, and they have to go to work and they have to juggle their kids and everything because they want their husbands to work. I'll tell you one beautiful story. Um, I'm going to cut, I'm going to change some of the facts just because it's a Talmud of mine that I'm talking about. There, we have a, we have Baruch Hashem, many wonderful alumni that came out from our yeshiva. And one of our, you know, very prominent alumni is uh, somebody who sits and learns in, in Lakewood. And he's been learning there for a good, I don't know, 10, 12 years. And he's really a Talmud Chacham. It's not a joke. Like, he's really, really a Talmud. He was already, when he was in yeshiva here, he was already, you'd come into the base medrash at 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock, and 4 o'clock in the morning, you'd see him learning. And then somehow he was first by davening also. I don't know when he slept. His roommates don't know when he slept, but he was a learning machine. He loved learning. He has a geschmack in learning, and, and he's been learning in, in Lakewood for... He got married. He's learning in Lakewood for a long time. But the point of the story is that when he... Uh, when he um, his wife was working for a certain, a certain company, and one day, and there was Saimach on her. Basically, she was the sole breadwinner in the house. He wasn't really making much in Kailal, and um, if anything. So one day, she gets a call or, or something, or a letter, email, that they're basically um, firing everybody in the company, that whole department, the whole, that specific department that she worked for, which is a very niche type of industry, uh, they're letting everybody go. Or maybe they gave her a little severance pay, and that was it. And she was obviously very upset. And I'm sure it wasn't a great simcha for the husband either. Like, this was what he was living. He was li- they were living, they were paying their mortgage, and they were, you know, paying for food and everything from from her income. And he excused himself, my Talmud, and he, um, and he went out of the house, and he came back uh, like a half an hour later, and he she said, where were you? So he takes out of like some grocery bags like five different types of ice creams, five different flavors of ice cream, you know, and toppings and syrups and chule, and he has his wife and his kids, they all come and he's, he's scooping out ice cream. And he's giving it out to all the kids. Like she said, what, what, is, what are you doing? So he says, HaKadosh Baruch paskind that this is what should happen, that you're not supposed to be working in that firm. I don't know what the cheshman is. I don't know where it's going to take us. I don't know what, you know, what life is going to bring. But if this is the Ratzin Hashem, then we have to be makabal b'simcha. They had a big ice cream party, and every one, and the kids chose what ice creams they want, and the cones, and the sprinkles, and the syrups, and and P.S. The P.S. of the story is that she ended up starting to do her job on her own, and you know she got a lot more flexibility. She's making a lot more money than she ever did, and if it wasn't for that, you know that bad news, they would never have been able to have a much better life. But I'm just bringing this story out to illustrate that, you know, people are living in this world on a high level. 
on a much higher level than I could, I'll tell you that much. There, you know, it, it, when you have this type of lifestyle of, of being able to sit and learn and just throw your peckle, throw your whole baggage on the Rebbein and say, this is what I want. I just want to sit and learn. I want to dedicate my life to Limer Atayra. Then HaKadosh Baruch Hu protects such people. He protects all of us, but he, he protects them with an extra measure of love and, and shelter. And this is following in what David HaMelech is setting us up for every single time we say during Elul, this Pasuk, and this Pasuk is so famous and so many songs are made of it, but it's so important to understand the concepts, the two concepts that we spoke about this evening. Ramesh Shapiro's concept about how it's a, a bakasha, it's not just the personal shayla. When I sit and learn, it's a bakasha for Klai Yisrael, for everybody. Everybody reaps the dividends of, of me sitting and learning and of you sitting and learning. When we sit and learn, we literally are able to bring shefa and bracha to the entire world. It's a bakasha as like nafshi b'sheilasi It's the whole nation benefits. It's not just a person sitting alone and doing his own thing with his Gemara. This is spreading. If you'd be able to see like what happens when we sit and learn, it would be magical. You'd be able to see like the dust, like the the you know the sparks fly and and touch every single yid in the entire world, and go up to Shemayim and and change the entire uh, tsuran and the the destiny of the world. It's hard to imagine that that's what we do every time. We sit and learn, but that's that's what we are doing. And then the other part is that Isa Vakesh, the Achash Alti is what I what I'm Vakesh. That's it, there's nothing else. I want to sit and learn, and without any strings attached, nothing else but learning Torah in the purest form, in the purest way. And we could do that also, by the way. Just because we're in college doesn't mean that we don't have the ability to do that as well. When we're sitting and learning, and we're really sitting and learning, and we're, we just, we're doing it for no other reason but the fact that we want to learn Tyra Lishma. Yeah, you might get a Talmud, a grade in Talmud, and you might, you know, have other, there, there might be other things, but my Kavana, my main Kavana when I'm sitting and learning is that I should sit and learn HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Tyra, Tyra Lishma, and when I'm able to do that, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, has tremendous nachas ruach. There's nothing greater that we could do with our lives in, our, in, in the time that we're allotted in this world than to sit and learn Torah. It has the greatest hashpa on the universe and it has the greatest hashpa on ourselves. And that's what we should really be, um, that should be our goal in life. Our goal in life should be that we should, even if we're not there yet, the more that we're able to learn and the more that we're able to, for whatever our kavanas, whatever our motivation is, but understand that eventually, Mitz Hashem, will be able to learn for no other reason than the fact that we want to learn. And beyond, you know, graduation, beyond the Talmud grades, beyond all, you'll still want to learn in Mitz Hashem because that, that is what the hope is. That's what Davon HaMelech teaches us is the greatest ambition that a person can have. Rav Aaron Cutler was once um, by an Ilas Hachag, and he uh, and they were singing a song. This song, Lulei Sarascha Shashruai, which was purportedly like one of Avaron's most fam- fa- favorite songs. It was composed by one of his Talmidim, uh, and it's you know. And just one more bit of trivia: that 
Nigan was when I walked down to by my chuppah. I just happened to like the song, and um, so Ravaren stopped the nigga in the middle. Everybody was, it was a dark room, Ravaren was like singing together, and then all of a sudden he stopped the nigga, and he said, listen to the words of this song. David HaMelech was the most powerful man in the world. David HaMelech was the wealthiest man in the world. David HaMelech didn't lack any, there was nothing that he lacked, you know. Like we think sometimes if I win the lottery, I would do, I'd buy a house up here and I'd buy an apartment in Israel and I'd buy a, you know, I'd get a stretch limo and I'd get a Lexus and I'd get a convertible and I'd, you know, whatever your dreams would be if you would, David HaMelech had all of that. There was nothing that was lacking to that. David HaMelech was a trillionaire. And listen to what he says. Lule If it wasn't for the Torah, my delight, I would be lost be'ani. Be'ani means in my poverty. I would be utterly impoverished. What does that mean that I'd be utterly impoverished? So Aaron said that to David HaMelech, there was no, all the luxuries that he had was nothing. He was, he was, he, he felt that like without Tyra, he had nothing. He was poor. He was poor. It reminds me of the story they say about Rav Steinemann, that somebody once came to Rav Steinemann and said that he wanted to buy a Lexus. Somebody that lived in Eretz Yisrael or in Bnei Brak, he wanted to buy a Lexus. Lexus, you know, is... I, I think they, they have dealerships. I saw once when I was in Eretz Yisrael, they started selling Lexuses. I'm sure there's a lot of wealthy people today in Eretz Yisrael. But when this guy came to... It was still like a chiddush to have a Lexus in Eretz Yisrael. Everyone had, you know, other cars. Lexus, a spitz, you know... So he went to Rav Steinman. Rav Steinman was a person that lived bedachas mamish. He had nothing. He had a broken, decrepit apartment in you know in Bnei Brak, and he had no no shaykes to gashmias. So he said, I, "I'm thinking about buying a Lexus, but I want to ask the Rashiva what he thinks." Because first of all, what, what's a Lexus? You know, what's a car? Like what you know? What are you talking about? So he said. So he explains a very spitzy car or whatever. It's made in, uh, you know, Everett's. So he says, what, what, okay, so why shouldn't you buy it? Because we're afraid of like an Ayan Hara, you know, where people are going to speak about us. People are going to have jealousy. They're going to, you know, envy. So he says, let me ask you a question. He says, um, can I fahar you on a Masechta and Shas right now? You prepared to be fahared on Kedushan? Kedushin? No. He says, okay, how about a parak of Kedushin? One parak. Gemara Rashi Taisis. No, I'm not prepared for that. It's okay. Uh, Gemara Rashi, no. How about one daf of Kedushin? Any daf? He says, no. He says, an omelet? No. He says, buddy, listen, let me tell you something. Nobody's giving you an Ayanara. <laughs> Nobody cares. You can buy your Lexus. No, nobody cares. Because, you know, to Rav Steinemann, it's, it's a joke. Like, it's Mamash Azavadi Bani. If you don't have Tyra, you got nothing. You're nothing. You're, you're not, you know, it's not, it's not, what's so chashiv? You're, so you own a car, that's, that's chashivas. You own a big house, that's chashivas. To people that understand what Tyra is, it's nothing unless you, unless you are able to really learn Tyra Lishma and Bikiyas and Bi'in and Allah and Agad. Then it's Azavati Ba'anyi. Rav Aaron said, like, you know, David Amalek had everything, but he felt poor if he didn't have Tyra. 
And this is a very high madriga to attain. Obviously, we're Americans, and we, we like luxuries, and we appreciate luxury. We respect, you know, spitzy things. It makes a reishim on all of us, for sure. But halavai, the greatest bracha could be that we could give ourselves, is that we could get to a point in our life that Taira is the main thing. It's everything to us. And all of the other things that the world is running after and the world is dazzled by should be ke'efes vasayu. It should be like nothing to us. It's a high, it's a high madriga to reach. But the more that we learn Torah, the more that we understand that achash alti oisa avakesh shift v'veis Hashem the the more that we'll be able to mitz Hashem move away from Eilam Haza and move closer to the world of Eilam Haza.